welcome to the Prophecy Club. You may be saying, well, Stan, why haven't you talked about these shootings? The reason is, is because I already understand what's really going on. It's kind of like, why don't they have anybody at post-trib prophecy conferences talking about a post-trib rapture? Because it's already settled. In their heart, they already know and they understand the truth. That's the reason the pre-trib conferences are always having another person trying to convince them uh, something else that is just true, but it's just not true. Well, I already understand what's going on. The reason I understand that is because of the two DVDs that we're about to offer today. Now, stay with me on this. The shooters follow a pattern. If the shooters were not part of a mind-controlled program, then why would the shootings follow a pattern? Think about it. They attack our safe places. Why, this is a quiet town. Or they're a lone gunman or some kind of a weirdo that's not part of society. Because a group is far more difficult to coordinate via mind control, but it's not impossible. I mean, we just saw two attacks within, what, six hours, eight hours, something like that? Also, random targets. We hear, well, there's little or no connection to the victims, or there's no motive. The gunman has little or no reason to kill his victims. There's no discernible pattern. In other words, there's no way to stop this. The shootings seem impossible to stop, raising the fear level, and that brings all of the people to one conclusion. Only way to stop this is to confiscate guns. Nobody is saying, hey, I've got a better idea. Why don't we put the Bible back in schools? Why don't we put prayer back in schools? All seem to be active on social media. They self-destruct. Many of them kill themselves or commit suicide by, by police. They're going to shoot until they're finally killed. That may be to protect the programming inside them. And then normally within hours, the calls for gun control begin. Complicated bills already written in advance are then immediately introduced within hours as if Congress already knew it was coming. Then the gun purchases are often recent purchases all legal in most cases, as opposed to purchases over many years or stolen guns. In other words, they're attacking our gun possession. You see, if they were acquired over a process of time, eh, then people wouldn't be able to blame it on guns so much, meaning a mind control hit team is what is really doing this, in my opinion. This is the deep state, your Kazarian Mafia, Probably the same folks that have control of the suitcase nukes and will probably set them off. And why are they doing this? Okay, so let's ask ourselves that question. Why would the Gazaria Mafia, the international bankers, the deep state, whatever you want to call them, why would they want to get guns out of the hands of innocent people? Why would they want to get the guns out of the hands of the Christians? Why would you want to disarm Christians? Well, maybe it's because you want to eliminate Christians and you want to take away their opportunity to protect themselves. You see, guns in our nation were not given to us so that we could go deer hunting. Guns were given to us in our Constitution because our founding fathers knew that evil in high places would try to take over and it wanted to give the people a chance. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a series explaining, in my opinion, the best of the best, explaining what's really going on. In 2007, we had Bill Sneblin come in and make one of our most popular DVDs called Mind-Controlled Gun Confiscation. 
he explains how this started. His topics are how mind control began, pain, drugs, demons, methods to split the mind. Yes, they can do that. The purpose of mind control, the latest techniques, wireless control, the mind control pattern, and the New World Order, Antichrist, and the Mark tied in. Well, that was so popular, and believe me, you're going to love this DVD. You're going to really like this one. It was so popular, we invited him back. He made another one tying it together. It's called Vaccines, Mind Control, and the Mark. Once again, he gives an updated history of vaccines, their grotesque beginnings, Big Pharma, its relationship to the Illuminati and the New World Order, vaccines, Big Pharma, one of their largest cash cows, biblical reasons not to receive vaccines, medical reasons not to receive vaccines, vaccines and mind control, vaccines and population control, and vaccines and how they relate to the mark of the beast. Now, as you know, our two-and-a-half-hour DVDs, normally we ask a donation of $30 each, so that would be $60. However, right now at prophecyclub.com, you can get the Bill Sneblin offer. That's what you want to scan for. Bill Sneblin offer. Both of them valued at $60 for a gift of $30, but you can even do better than that. Go to watchprophecyclub.com, sign up for 20 bucks a month. Not only can you watch these two, but there's like over 300 DVDs up there. You can watch anytime you want to. And even better than that, sign up for $200 a year. Not only does it help Prophecy Club, but it also gives you instant access to watch all of these DVDs anytime you want to. That means you don't have to buy them anymore. And now I do think it's still important to get the DVD because you and I both know that that's going to be part of the Internet, that the Antichrist is going to control. And there will be a day, brothers and sisters, you will not be able to get access to the Internet unless you have the mark of the beast. So it's called the Bill Snibbling Gift Offer. Two DVDs, $60, gift of $30, prophecyclub.com. Watch prophecyclub.com to watch them instantly for a gift of 20 bucks a month. Great deal. All right, now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go over and play part of the DVD called Mind Controlled Gun Confiscation. We'll play that for a few days, and then we may have time, depending on what happens in the news, to go to his newest one, Vaccines, Mind Control, and the Mark. Now, Mind Controlled Gun Confiscation by Bill Sneblin sailed through the Mediterranean, around the Strait of Gibraltar, and up to Scotland. You've got to realize at that time, Scotland was like the farthest reaches of the Holy Roman Empire and the farthest reaches of the Catholic Church. And the Scots did not like Rome. So they hid out the Templars there. And in exchange, the Templars helped them fight the English. And what's interesting is you can go over there, and we did this when we were over there ministering in the British Isles, and see 800-year-old tombstones in Scottish castles that have Knight Templar markings on them and Freemasonic markings on them from 800 years ago. Now, the thing I want you to remember about these guys is that they are the basis of much of Masonry. And, in fact, the, um, the early Scottish Rite started because of them up in Scotland. Now, when the Templars were put out of business, part of them hid in Scotland, part of them went underground. And a few years later, they emerged as a secret. It was called the Invisible College. Doesn't that sound mystical, though, the Invisible College? And they were all involved in learning the healing arts and the secrets of mind control. And they, their outer name was the Rosicrucians. 
the ancient mystical order of the Rosy Cross. And while Stan did not mention this, I was a ninth degree member of the Rosicrucian order, and I was taught these things. Now I want to draw your attention to that symbol. That is the symbol of the Rosicrucian order. And you'll notice it's all covered with occult symbols and alchemical symbols. And in the very center, you'll see there is a rose with the petals on and then they have the Hebrew alphabet on them. And in the center of that, there is a rosy cross. And what that is, it's a gold cross, like a Latin, what's called a Latin cross, like what we associate with Christianity. And in the very center of that is a five-petaled scarlet rose. That is the consummate symbol of the Rosicrucian order. And all it is is a variation of the Knights Templar symbol, which is a scarlet cross. Now, what does this symbol mean? Well, the golden cross symbolizes the solar phallic Christ force. Okay, the, the rose, the ruby rose, symbolizes the lunar eternal feminine goddess mysteries. And it was believed that the Rosicrucian order fused these two. And so when you, today, you hear about like the Da Vinci Code and all of these different things and the sacred feminine and the mysterious feminine and uh, Sophia and all this kind of stuff, this is where that originated in its modern form was in the Rosicrucian order. And that is what this is supposed to represent, a fusion of the male and female goddess and god figures. And the Rosicrucians teach you powerful mental exercises. And these mental exercises are called hermetics. Now, you may not be familiar with that word, but hermetics, and it doesn't have anything to do with like being hermetically sealed. The name goes back to a sage in Egypt. He was considered to be, I, I refer to him like this, he's like the anti-Moses. Like today we all are familiar with the Antichrist. Well, he was the anti-Moses. Because at the same time, as Moses was coming down the mountain with the two tablets of stone that had the Torah on them, in Egypt, he was creating the emerald tablet, which had all of the maxims of occultism on it. The number one maxim being this, as above, so below, but after a different manner. manner. That is the cardinal rule of the occult, just like, you know, it's kind of like, if you will, the, the, the golden rule of occultism. And because of this, his followers, his name was Hermes, Tresmegistus, which means thrice greatest Hermes. You know what his symbol was? It was a staff with snakes circling around it. And that's why some of you may notice the, uh, the symbol that's used for the medical profession. It's called the caduceus. Yes, that's the term for it. And you might also notice, is it FTD, the florist company? And they have the symbol Mercury running with flowers. Well, Mercury is the Roman name for Hermes. And you notice he has his little helmet on with wings and he has little wings on his feet and he's got in his hand the same exact staff. That's the caduceus. And it's a symbol of hermeticism. We'll talk more about this in a couple minutes. But this is where the hermetic tradition flowered in Europe, was through the Rosicrucian order. Okay, the next step we'll have to go through is right at this same time, there was a Spanish knight named Ignatius Loyola. And he was wounded by a cannonball in his leg, and he had to convalesce in his castle. And while he was convalescing, he had an enlightening experience. 
he became illuminated and he decided he wanted to dedicate his life to what he believed to be God. And he wanted to start an order of illuminated men who would be warrior monks. See, does this sound familiar? It's like there's a trend here. We have the assassins who were fanatical Islamic um, you know, warriors. And then we have the Templars who were fanatical Christian warriors. And then we have the, uh, this group that Ignatius Loyola was starting. And so he went to the Holy Father in Rome. And he said, I want to start this society of elite, enlightened warrior monks. They will be like your Gestapo. Of course, he didn't say that because the Gestapo wasn't in existence then. But that's what they wanted to, he wanted to do. And he says, and I want to call this order Los Ilumbrados, which in Spanish means the Illuminati. Isn't that interesting? This was 200 years before Adam Weishaupt came along. And the Pope said, no, I don't think that's going to play well in Peoria. So let's call it the Society of Jesus. Now, doesn't that sound pious, the Society of Jesus? I mean, it just sounds all warm and fuzzy. And I'll tell you, these men are formidable. They're brilliant. It takes 12 years to make a Jesuit after college. It only takes eight years to make a doctor. So, they're taught mind control. And if you want to know what the Jesuits are taught, they're taught hermetics. What is hermetics? It is the science of mental magic, of the ability to do inside of your head entire complex magical rituals by visualization. And I was trained in this. It was the first thing I was taught. When I was made a first-degree witch, I was given a book by Franz Barden, who was one of the greatest sorcerers of the 20th century. It was called Initiation into Hermetics. You can still get it today. And it teaches you how to control your mind to the point that you could, like what I would do, for example, one of the exercises, I had to go out in the middle of a blinding blizzard. And in Iowa, we got blizzards just like you guys have here. And sit naked in a snowdrift and melt the snowdrift by emanating heat from my body through through hermetic science and other such things. And the only way I can describe it, those of you that may play chess, imagine playing a chess game blindfolded and winning, never seeing the board. That's what hermetics is, except the chess pieces are demons. It's that simple. Now, if you want to find out what these exercises are that the Jesuit order does, all you have to do is go to your public library and pick up a book called The Spiritual Exercises of Ignatius Loyola. And that has most of the beginning exercises. I did these things myself because they're taught in most Catholic seminaries. Um, the other thing you need to realize about the Jesuits, though, is that they're very Jesuitical. Now, that's actually an adjective. You go to a large dictionary, and you look up the word Jesuitical, you'll find a picture next to it. The picture will be of William Jefferson Clinton. I'm kidding. But how many of you realize Clinton was trained by Jesuits? Georgetown University is a Jesuit school. And he was, his mentor was Professor Quigley, who of course wrote the book, what was it, The Tragedy and the Hope, I think was the name of it, that, that basically spilled the beans about the New World Order because he felt that it was so far advanced that there was absolutely nothing that Christianity could do to stop it. What does the word Jesuitical mean? Well, 
our beloved ex-president, Bubba, is an excellent example of Jesuitical. That's why I made that little witticism. It means cunning. It means deceitful. It means mendacious. It means a consummate, skilled liar. That's what Jesuits are famous for. Because they have a doctrine. And it's the doctrine of this. Mental reservation. Remember when you were a kid and somebody would say something, you, you promised me that you'll you know, do something for me. And if you put your hand behind your back, you'd say, yes, I promise. It didn't count. Because you had this behind your back. That's the doctrine of mental reservation. And the Jesuits are taught that they can lie even under oath. They can put their hand on a Bible and swear in the name of God that they will do, they will, you know, they, that such and such a thing is true, and then they will lie as long as mentally they think the truth. That's called mental reservation. And it's not a sin as long as they do it for the greater glory of God. And that's their motto, ad maiorum dei gloriam, for the greater glory of God. But the trouble is, their God is the Pope. And they take an oath. And the oath, I won't go into some of the more gross parts of it, but the oath in part says that they will be as clay in the hands of the Holy Father for him to mold in any way that he wants. The oath also says they will be as a corpse in the hand of the Holy Father for him to move and manipulate any way he wants. And they will never ask why, they'll just do it. And of course today many of you may know that in the Vatican there's this interesting hierarchy. There's the Holy Father, the White Pope, that you always see you know, on TV. And then there's the Black Pope, who's the Secretary General of the Jesuit Order. And they have an uneasy truce, depending on how Vatican politics is going. So, here again we have the concept of mind control. And today the Jesuit Order is illegal in many countries of the world. It's considered a subversive society, and they're not allowed into many countries. Even countries that are heavily Catholic, because they're so subversive. But of course they go in anyway, they just go in undercover. Next step, the Freemasonic movement. Many of you may not realize that the Jesuits helped put together Grand Lodge Freemasonry. They helped put together the Scottish Rite. The Grand Lodge of England was the beginning of modern day Masonry, and then the Grand Orient Lodge of France in 1733. And what you need to understand, and I didn't fully appreciate this until I was down ministering in Brazil a couple of months ago. We here in America are under the Grand Lodge of England. In, in uh, Brazil, they are under the Grand Orient. And that is an extremely anti-Christ organization, much more so than the Grand Lodge of England. It's vicious in its attacks on our Savior and on Christian principles. And, you know, if you think Masons are bad here, you ought to see what they're like down in Brazil or in France or in Germany. That's where the Grand Orient holds sway. That was 1733. The next big milestone was, of course, the Illuminati. They were started by a Jesuit professor of canon law, Adam Weishaupt, at the University of Ingolstadt in Bavaria in the year 1776, May 1st. It was called the Ancient and Illuminated Seers of Bavaria. And again, he infiltrated the Masonic Lodge with this elite inner group. And what he did is he basically wove together everything that went before. The hashish, the mind control, the political manipulations, the skullduggery, the hermeticism, and put it all in one 
satanic package, and that was the Illuminati. Now we'll fast forward about a hundred and some years, and you see there the ancient and hermetic order of the Golden Dawn. Now notice that word again, hermetic. This is a hermetic magical society. And boy, oh boy, it was made up of some of the heaviest hitters in the 19th and 20th century. It was a Rosicrucian, Masonic, hermetic society that was based originally in Germany, but then came to London, and some of its alumni might surprise you. How many of you heard of L. Frank Baum? I think he's one of your favorite sons, the Wizard of Oz, the man who wrote the Wizard of Oz books, L. Frank Baum. He was a member of the Golden Dawn. And the Wizard of Oz books are full of occult triggers, and so is the movie. Uh, Here's another name, Bram Stoker, the guy who wrote Dracula. Another name, Arthur Waite. You may not know that name, but he was one of the most highly esteemed Masonic scholars in 19th century London. He was also a consummate fuddy-duddy. Another name, William Butler Yeats, very famous Irish poet. And finally, the most infamous member of the Golden Dawn Alumni Society, Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley first learned magic at the feet of the Golden Dawn, and he was quite a character. His real name was Edward Alexander Crowley. He was raised by Plymouth Brethren parents. Very devout. If you know the Plymouth Brethren, they're somewhat kind of like Baptists, except more so. Um, And they are very, very devout, strict believers in Christianity. And his father got saved. His father owned a brewery, Crowley's Ales. And he felt that was highly inappropriate, so he sold the brewery and used the money to support himself, and he traveled around the country as a traveling evangelist and led many people to Christ, I would imagine. But meanwhile, his son was at home with a mother who was a few fries short of a Happy Meal. And his mother, every time he would misbehave, and this was in in England, she would look at him and say, You're the great beast. That's what she would say. You're the great beast. And he took it as a badge of honor. And so when he was 18 years old and off on his own at Oxford for the first time, he took a toad, baptized it, and named it Jesus Christ, and then crucified it upside down as a gesture of utter contempt for Yeshua and for Christianity. And he went on, he changed his name to Aleister Crowley, so it would add up to 666, and he, he styled himself as the wickedest man in the world. He claimed at one time to have sacrificed 150 perfect male children in one year. He was a bisexual, a pedophile, a dope fiend, and a genius. He could play eight chess games blindfolded and win all of them simultaneously. Of course, he probably had demons to help him. But he also received a document called the Book of the Law. This was his revelation. He got it in Cairo. And to talk about how he did it was too long a story. But this book, which is three chapters, it's, it's, it's supposedly the Bible for the New Age. And it's not very large. It's not even the size of the Gospel of Mark. And I had to memorize it because I was a follower of this guy. Even though he died in 1947, two years before I was even born, once he died, his influence grew astronomically. And today there are literally tens of thousands of followers of Aleister Crowley who think he is the prophet of the new aeon. And this book, this book of the law, claimed that there were three great aeons. 
that first there was the aeon of uh, the goddess back in ancient times. That ended with the advent of Moses. Then there was the aeon of the crown and conquering child, which started with Moses and culminated with Yeshua and then went on and is ending, he said, in 1904. That was followed by the aeon of the crowned and conquering child, who is the child of these two, God and goddess. And what's interesting that you may not know is that is the Masonic Trinity, the mother, the father, and the child. And that's expressed in the uh, architecture of the streets of Washington, D.C., the Masonic Trinity. It's all over those streets. Um, Anyway, what Crowley did is he believed that he was the avatar of this new religion that was called Thelema, which is the Greek word for will. He also called it Crowleyanity. <laughs> this guy didn't have any self-esteem problems. In fact, he once said he didn't have a very high opinion of either Jews or women. He thought basically women were stupid. And he said once that the highest mystical experience any woman could ever contemplate was to make love to him. So anyway... He came to America and spread his noxious fruit in New York, in Chicago, and in Pasadena. And in New York City in 1918, he did a working that was called the Alamantra working. And at that time, he supposedly tore open a rift in the fabric of space-time and abominable demons came through that are much more powerful than anything that normally we would encounter. I believe these were principalities, He called them the Great Old Ones. And with this came an influx of demons of pedophilia. And he unleashed this on America. And that's why, since the early part of this last century, we have had this gradual and now not so gradual increase in all these perverts that find children sexually attractive. That's pretty bad, isn't it? And this is the man that believed himself to be responsible for it. He died in 1947, a lonely, broken heroin addict. Somebody said he was living the last three years of his life on nothing but poached eggs and heroin. uh, But the the consequences of what he did in terms of the, um, the spiritual state of the English speaking world, he has cast a very large, dark shadow, both in terms of magic, because he's regarded as the greatest magician of the 20th century, and also for what he did about pedophilia. He also wrote the Book of Shadows of Modern White Witchcraft. Now, next stop on our little trip is the Tavistock Institute. This is a think tank in London, which is still around to this day, and many Golden Dawn members were involved with it. Now, remember, the Golden Dawn had a German branch, and some of the German occultists in the Golden Dawn were involved with the beginnings of Nazism. So the Golden Dawn was a conduit through which the Tavistock Institute and the Nazis could share their research about pain and torture. Isn't that wonderful? The Tavistock Institute did research on how much pain people could stand. They actually tortured people. I'm going to interrupt the broadcast right there. At WatchProphecyClub.com, you can have instant access to over 200 titles on a recurring monthly subscription of $20 or yearly for $200 at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's $6,000 worth of information at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's WatchProphecyClub.com. 
What a deal. If you like Prophecy Club, if it is one of your ministries that you support, if you feel like we're doing the right thing, then would you consider sending us a donation? It's summertime, and man, our donations have dropped just down to almost nothing. So if you could help us right now, it would really be appreciated. Prophecyclub.com. In 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation. God showed me a single word, first fruits, is a secret door found in Revelation and Leviticus. When linked together, the end-time events can be placed in chronological order. For the first time, we can know what feast Jesus returns on, the feast for the judgment seat of Christ on the great white throne, and the feast upon which the wheat is resurrected, and on the day the New Jerusalem comes down to earth. And even though I've been in Bible prophecy for 40 years, I freely admit to you that I knew nothing that is revealed in this book supernaturally. So you probably know nothing that is in this book. One prophetic word said, There is a lock that I have put over a word in the book of Revelation that I'm going to open unto you. It will turn many books written on the end time message into obsolete books. That's this book. Don't get one for $20. Instead, get five for 30 or 10 for 55 Or in a case price, 60 books for $250. That's 60 books in a case for $250. The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy at prophecyclub.com. 